please join me in praying. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we open your word together, please speak to us. By your Holy Spirit, I pray we would learn, we would be challenged, we would be inspired in our faith, and we would become more like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I invite you to please be seated. This morning I would like to talk about the color purple. In case you didn't know, there are several words that rhyme with the word purple. Words such as purple, herple, turple, and nurple. Those are actual words. I have no idea what any of them mean, but if you look them up in a dictionary, they are real words that rhyme with the word purple. Did you know there was only one country that has a flag with purple in its color? With pur- pur- I am really stumbling this morning, and this is just the beginning of the sermon. By the end, I'm going to be completely unintelligible. Just hang with me. Did you know that up until the 16th century, almost all carrots were purple? And there were a lot of yellow ones too, but did you know what there weren't? A bunch of orange ones. It took the Dutch in the sixth century to cross-pollinate some carrots to give us orange carrots. And it might have been to honor William the Orange, and it may have just been because, honestly, if you've had a purple carrot, they don't taste as good as orange carrots. So now we have orange carrots. Purple. Why am I talking about purple? because this sermon is about the season of Lent. And as we head into Lent, the green that you currently see will become purple. Why? The passage that we read for the gospel. They put a purple garment on him. You see, purple in the time of Christ was an extremely expensive dye. It took thousands of mussels boiled in a giant vat that created an obnoxious smell, but also gave off the dye that they would use to dye clothing purple. It was so expensive that it was known as royalty. And so the picture that you have in that passage of Mark where they put the purple on him and they mock him as king, it is a perfect image for Lent. You see, what they are doing is showing how far away from God they really are. They are showing their fallenness and their rebellion and their sin, and they are mocking one who actually is the king. And it is the king who went to his knees and ultimately to the cross to pay for the sins of those who would mock him. It is a perfect image of Lent, purple. So here's what I would like to do this morning. I want to talk about what Lent is, and I'm going to give us both the kind of higher picture, I want to talk about its practices, and then I want to talk about what the point is, 
What do we hope we gain by going through this season of Lent? Why Lent? Lent helps us walk in the footsteps of Jesus. This is the primary reason why we celebrate it. So if you think about the church calendar, it is all centered on the life of Jesus. Starting from Advent, which we've already gone through together, Advent looks to his first and his second coming, but to his first coming, to the incarnation. It is centered around the waiting period up to the season of Christmas where we celebrate he has been born. And that moves us into the season we're in now, which if you look at our windows up here, it's his baptism and then he comes out of the water. That is the beginning. That's epiphany. Now, it starts with the Magi coming and recognizing him, but Epiphany is the revelation, and it's all about Christ being revealed to the nations. Our seasons are centered on the life of Christ. We are trying to walk in his footsteps. Lent really begins right after he comes out of the water, and we hear, Thou art my son, and he goes into the wilderness. He go, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness where for 40 days he fasts and he prays and he's being tempted by the devil. It's that image right there that gives us the foundation of Lent. Lent for us is 40 days where we are recognizing and emulating and walking in those same steps that he was in where we are fasting and we are praying and we're drawing close to the Father. We are emulating the life of Christ. It begins with Ash Wednesday. That is day one of Lent. In Ash Wednesday, we come in and you hear those words, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. You'll see the purple. You're also going to see me wearing, instead of a white alb, it'll be a flaxseed alb, which is sackcloth, is what it's meant to symbolize. So when we come to Ash Wednesday, it is centered on those ashes that you hear, you know, in the actual term, and those ashes represent a couple of things. Number one, our humanity, and Lent is all about recognizing our humanity. It is our humanity which Jesus also had fully, and our repentance. In the Old Testament, when you had sackcloth and ashes and mourning, it was for repentance. It was to recognize where we had strayed, gotten off the path, and we were coming back. And so we repent and we start with Ash Wednesday by recognizing our full humanity, our frailty, our weakness, our sin, and yet... What is the shape of the ashes on our forehead? A cross. Because Ash Wednesday is not meant to be something where we just beat ourselves up and we go, oh, we're terrible, awful people, and we spiral into guilt. Because the cross reminds us he came in our humanity that we might be redeemed. That our frailty could be made strong in him, that all of our failings and our rebellion he redeems. 
So it begins with Ash Wednesday, and then we go through 40 days where we fast and we pray. And just so you know, the 40 days does not include Sundays. If you count the Sundays, Lent won't be 40 days long. It'll be 46 days long because we have six Sundays between Ash Wednesday and Easter. But the reason we don't count them, and you shouldn't count them, if you decide to give something up, which again, why are we giving something up? We're emulating the life of Christ. He fasted for 40 days, so we are fasting as he did. But if you give something up for the 40 days, celebrate it on Sunday. If you decide you're going to give up desserts, have some desserts on Sunday. Why? Because Sunday is always resurrection day. Everything we do is an emulation of Christ. He rose. On the day that Christ rose from the dead, we shouldn't fast. We should celebrate, even in Lent. So 40 days of doing that. Um, We are teaching our three-year-old a lot of things as you would normally teach a three-year-old. And one of the things that he does well over the last two months is he is emulating our speech, which is just a huge relief for us because our child eight months ago wasn't saying anything. He had lost all of his language. We got him diagnosed with autism. And about two months ago, his words just started flowing. And you can walk in and say, hi, buddy. And he'll go, hi, buddy. He's just emulating all of our speech. He's doing what we're doing, learning what we're learning. And I saw this really adorable picture where my daughter's sitting at the table eating her cereal, and my three-year-old doesn't sit anywhere. He likes to stand and run and do those types of things. And normally, even like this morning, we got a cereal, he sets it on the chair, and then he stands there and eats it. But he saw Sis sitting at the table, and so he sat next to her and sat and ate his cereal. He's emulating, he's learning how to be a person. That's what we're doing with Christ. We're learning who he is by going through what he went through. That's part of our entire church calendar and it's our season of Lent. But I want us to be thoughtful about what we do. Because otherwise, our emulation might not mean anything. So when I was changing Kelton's diaper a couple of mornings ago, I said, you are Kelton. And he went, you are Kelton. And I said, no, no, I'm Dada. And he went, I'm Dada. And I said, no, you're Kelton. You're Kelton. I'm Dada. I'm Dada. Those words didn't have real meaning to them. There's another word that he says. It's the word fox. That word sounds like a four-letter word that we shouldn't say. And when he says it, that's exactly what it sounds like, the four-letter word that we shouldn't say. So we consistently have him say it because baby cursing is hilarious. (laughs) But it doesn't mean what he thinks it means because he has no idea. He's just saying the words. Let that not be lent. Let us not just emulate his life, but let's think about what we're doing as we fast and we pray and we reflect and we follow in his footsteps. 
So here are a few of the practices. Lent summons us, calls us to certain practices. They typically are repentance, fasting, and prayer. Those are big practices within Lent. Repentance, as I already talked about, is the Ash Wednesday. It's where we start, but all the way through the season, we're going to take the confession and we're going to move it to the front of the service. Normally, our confession is tied right into our communion, and so it's right near that point. During the season of Lent, we'll do it right at the beginning. We're going to start our service by highlighting repentance, but also kind of coming out of that because, again, it's a Sunday, and so by the end of the service, we're also celebrating. But I also want to encourage you to really think and reflect on your life through this season and practice repentance. Fasting, it is a good thing to do. Fasting helps us see our weakness and our frailty. If you have ever fasted, you know how good food is. Because the moment you say, I'm not going to eat anymore, you start craving everything. And there's a point where you can even kind of go, oh my gosh, I can't believe how much power food has. Like, I want it. And granted, we're created to need food. But it's more than that. We crave it. And it shows us some of our frailty. But it also, again, puts us in the steps of Jesus. You fast one day, and then I want you to think about what it might have been to fast 40. And just think about what your Savior went through as he did that. Fasting is something that can show us our weakness. It also can help us build some spiritual muscle. Fasting is a good way to practice saying no to yourself when it's not actually important. And here's what I mean. When do we most want to say no? When we are saying no to sin. When we are saying no to ourselves for the sake of somebody else. Those are the times where we're actually in the game. We're playing the game. Fasting is like practice. We're getting ready for it. We're saying no to ourselves, so when we come into that moment where we really do need to say no, we've done this before. We have practiced saying no to ourselves. So we're fasting. Specifically, I encourage you, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. They are two days traditionally of fasting during Lent. And then prayer. Luke never says that Jesus prayed, but I cannot imagine, based on everything else we see in the Gospels where he's praying all the time, I cannot imagine during those 40 days when he was in the wilderness fasting, he was not constantly seeking the Father. I want to encourage us over this period of time in particular to spend extra time in prayer. I remember when I first learned about the season of Lent, and these were my thoughts. And I will say up front, they were very naive and even arrogant. I remember thinking, if you were going to spend 40 days really focusing on praying and God and all of these things, why would you not do that all the time? I mean, you're only going to do it for 40 days? I'm going to do it for 365 days. And yet, Jesus only did this for 40 days. Because there are points in our lives where we can heighten what we do. But those kinds of things are not necessarily sustainable all the time. 
Lent is a season where we say, we're going to take the extra step. We're going to really give ourselves over to this. And in that, God helps us to grow and draw closer to him, and then we step out of it. During Lent, we're really going to focus on Christ going to the cross. But that's not all he did. He also rose. We can't spend 365 days just focused on him going to the cross. But there's a rhythm to our spirituality that keeps bringing us back. And so we have this season where we focus on Lenten disciplines. But, as I said in the first point, let the disciplines matter. These aren't just checking boxes. I read this story about a priest who was working in the inner city. And one evening at night, he was on his way home from the church and he had stayed late. And he was walking through a dark street and he felt a man step up behind him and put something which was a knife against his back. And he heard, give me your money. It was a young man based on the voice. The priest was scared and he began to pull off and he wanted to get to his jacket. And as he did this, apparently it revealed a little bit of his collar that he was still wearing. And exposing the collar, he heard the young man go, Oh, Father, I am so sorry. I didn't see your collar. I don't want your money. And the priest turned to the young man, and he had already pulled his jacket partway open. And he's a priest, and so priests do things like this. He happened to have cigars in his jacket pocket. And he pulled one out to the young man, and he said, Here, why don't you take this instead? And the young man said, oh, no, I can't do that. I gave that up for Lent. (laughs) That is not how we should approach our Lenten disciplines. (laughs) We need a consistency and an authenticity as we approach Lent. Let's think and reflect on what we are doing as we give ourselves over to the Lord and to this season. And this is what I hope we will gain from it. Number one, I hope we will know ourselves better. Part of Lent is self-reflection. Part of Lent is recognizing where I have fallen short, where I have been the problem. Part of Lent is taking responsibility because part of repentance is actually turning from one way of doing things to another way of doing things. But true repentance is when I recognize I have been treating somebody poorly. I am the one who have done this. Doesn't mean other people are free from guilt. It just means I'm recognizing where am I the problem? Where am I not honoring the Lord Jesus Christ with my life? How am I not treating my neighbor well? My spouse, my family, my coworkers, my friends. We need to learn ourselves a little bit better because we can be really good at noticing other people's issues and not seeing our own. Anybody ever done that? We can be really good at it. So as maybe all of you, if not most of you know, my plane got canceled last Sunday. That's why I was not here because I could not get back from Dallas. And on Saturday, while we were waiting 
in the airport for the plane. It was supposed to leave at 1 o'clock. It wasn't until 6 o'clock that they told us the flight had been canceled. So you can imagine through that five-hour period of time as they moved us from gate to gate, they changed the flight time four different times. You can imagine the anger building, the frustration building. So here's this group of people that have moved throughout the airport. I discovered while I was there that multiple people were actually supposed to leave on Friday, and that flight had been canceled. So you can just imagine as we're all sitting there, and the tension and the anxiety and the frustration is all rising, and people are getting angry, and we're getting close to 6 o'clock. We still think this flight might take off, but we don't know. And people begin attacking whom? The poor little lady who is behind that desk who has absolutely nothing to do with this. And they are going after her. And there was one couple, and he went up, and I mean, he is like, you know, we want our seats. And the lady said, I'm sorry, sir, we don't don't have them. And he's like, how can you not have them? And she said, well, sir, you, you gave them up to take another flight. And he goes, well, I want them back now. And she said, we don't have them. And I want the first class that I paid for. And she said, sir, we've already given them away. You gave them up. Oh, and he stamps his feet and he walks back to his wife. And he says, they don't have our seats. And she says, oh, they foxed us again. If you know what that word is after my other illustration. It was very inappropriate. And I wanted to walk over to this couple and say, they did not fox you. (laughs) You did that to yourselves. You gave up your seats. But I thought, I would probably do the same thing. I'm so glad I'm not wearing my collar right now. (laughs) Part of Lent is self-reflection. Can we all take some time and see our own junk during this season. See where we are the problem, where we need to take responsibility. Because the other part of Lent is coming to know Jesus better. You are never going to know the Lord Jesus in any kind of deep way until you're willing to admit where you've fallen short. Because the primary reason Jesus came For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He came to give his life because you and I were off the path. How can you possibly fully know him if you aren't willing to admit where you're off the path? But Lent is a time to reflect deeply on who Jesus is. His love his grace, his sacrifice, the way he treated others. You know, I think about that story of the woman caught in adultery, and I know we give the Pharisees a really hard time quite often, and yet in that moment when they bring this woman who's caught in adultery and they set her before Jesus, and they go, what should we do? And they're, they're just trying to test him. And my first thought in this is, at least when he said, he who is out without sin, throw the first stone, at least all of these hypocritical religious leaders were willing to walk away. 
At least in that moment, they had enough self-reflection to notice we have some sin. We need that. But I also think of the way Jesus was with this woman. As he protects her and sends all of these men away. And at one point, he is looking at the ground, possibly to restore some amount of dignity to this woman that they brought to him. One set of eyes not looking right at her in condemnation. And then when he does look at her, he says, neither do I condemn you. That's our Savior. Can we come to know him better through this season? That is what Lent calls us to. And he is worth knowing. Whatever the cost, whatever the sacrifice, whatever we have to give up, he's worth knowing. I don't know if you've been following at all, but I've been following the Mars New Rover Perseverance because I'm just fascinated that they have sent this vehicle to Mars and, and it is drilling. In September, we collected the first Martian soil rock that went into a little tube made out of titanium, sealed, and they're going to try to pick this thing up and bring it back to Earth. It would be the first time we ever went to, a, to Mars and actually got soil and brought it back. Do you know how much perseverance cost? $2.9 billion. Just think about that. $2.9 billion. They're trying to understand Mars. They're trying to understand its soil. They're trying to understand what happened in the past to the planets. How much is it worth to us to know Jesus? What are we willing to give up? Are you willing to give up 15 minutes extra a day through the season of Lent just to think on him? Are you willing to give up a little time to read through some of the Gospels, to read about Christ and then sit and think and pray and ask the Lord, show me who you are. Are you willing through this season to know him better? That's what Lent is. Lent is a time where we walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We practice some disciplines, hopefully thoughtfully, especially disciplines of fasting, repentance, and prayer. And it's a time where we can come to know ourselves and Jesus better if we'll take this season seriously. And it is worth it. I will end by returning to carrots. I want to tell you a brief story about carrots that still impacts us today. In World War II, the British had created a technology that went into their fighter planes that allowed them, through radar, to detect German planes, German bombers, in darkness. But they did not want the Germans to know they had the technology because they didn't want the Germans to try to figure out that technology. So they began a propaganda campaign in England. And this was the campaign. Carrots will give you amazing increased vision, even night vision. If you will just eat enough carrots. And then let the story spread that the reason the English fighters were able to target the German bombers in the night and one particular English fighter shot down 39 German planes at night is because they ate so many carrots. 
and it gave them night vision. And the unintended consequence is everybody in England began planting carrots. They had so many carrots after World War II that they, were, they started a five-minute radio segment to teach families what to do with all the carrots. They were giving them recipes that were desserts. There was a poster with carrots on popsicle sticks to try to get kids to eat their carrots. There were so many carrots. And today, there are many people that still believe carrots can increase your vision. Medically, carrots have so much vitamin A, they they are good for your vision. But they do not increase how far you can see. They do not give you night vision. But people still cling to that and eat lots of carrots. And I will tell you, if you eat too many carrots, it can impact you. One time, my wife and I came home. We were in Texas. We came back to her house. Her younger sister was there, and she had a slight orange tint to her skin. Seriously. Because she was eating an enormous amount of carrots. Here's the point. What you put in will impact you. Doesn't matter if it's propaganda. Doesn't matter if it's what you want. What you put into your soul will impact you. During the season of Lent, let's focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's spend the time. Let's practice the disciplines. Let's grow in Christ together. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son. As we enter this blessed season, help us as a parish to devote ourselves to him. Help us to learn more about who we are and who he is. Let us draw closer to you, Father. Let us grow in our faith. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask. Amen.